and justify. Justify your existence. Justify your existence. Justify your existence. All right. Welcome to Justify, the podcast where we attempt to legitimize our sometimes crappy taste. I'm not so crappy sometimes. <laughs> um, it's been a while. This is Amy Brown. This is Gabriel Majora. And Adrian Gower. And we're back and better than ever. Or really, both Adrian and I are kind of sick, so maybe worse than ever. Um, but, you know, we have we can't go too long without giving our our tons of listeners out there <laughs> i um, know you, you fought the good fight and you made it for our listeners <laughs> you did we did um and this week we're gonna this week which implies that we're gonna record again in a week which is hysterical um we're gonna talk about things that we well first we decided we wanted to talk about things that didn't need a justification but then we all like argued about it so we will be doing some justifying yes um but what have you guys been up to anything exciting I don't know. I, I hear that Amy has just some really strong feel, feelings about Disney. And, <laughs> like, that's all I can think about right now. How, how, like, I haven't been to Disney. And, you know, I don't live in Florida anymore. Um, and, yeah, I just I want to talk about Disney for some reason. Well, I did do a Disney half marathon recently. So Disney's on my brain, too. What about yeah. you, Amy? Adrian, Adrian combined the two sickest things, Disney and running. <laughs> so, so, so basically, um, well, I sent you guys a message that was on Reddit a few days ago of someone saying that they were dating a new guy and decided after he sent many memes that were minion related <laughs> that she was considering dumping him. And so I sent it along and we all had a good laugh. <laughs> but we want to just seriously take a few moments to deep dive into this. Like, we want to have a is, serious conversation. Is about minion it. love a deal breaker? And further... To me, I think it extends to a Disney lover, too. But then we had some argument about what counts as a Disney lover, so... Yes. Because well, think- Adrian and I, I think, both identify as, as some oh, yeah. kind of version of Disney lovers. Oh, yeah. Some of, uh, actually, my best Disney memories are with Gabe, so... Maybe, maybe this is, like, Gabe love bleeding onto Disney. It's conflated. They're the same, but... And, and, yeah. You know, Adrian or Amy, you could have been a part of that love fest. But. Yeah, I, I tried, and as I recall, I waited for an hour for a ticket in 95 degree weather. Um, so I wonder why that I'm kind of anti Disney. Um, but it seems like you guys, the Disney you love, is going to Epcot and drinking and yeah. eating. Yes, so yeah. that's not like the Disney sickness that I'm talking about. I'm talking about like people who unironically put Disney characters up on their walls and like own many sets of of Mickey Mouse ears and honeymoon at Disney World and. Or grown people who put things like the minions like all over their desks. Like I had a coworker who did that. That I was like, just a lot. Like she didn't have children. She was just obsessed with minions. Like what? 
I don't. I don't understand it. I I, I just put. What, okay, what is so wrong with this minion love? <laughs> oh, I think it like. I think it almost always coincides with either like like kind of being a right wing baby boomer type like that. Oh. Yeah. I've seen way too much Facebook to not immediately associate minion memes with like <laughs> like right wing baby boomers. <laughs> they all love them. They're obsessed. I don't know why. And then they have minions saying yeah. something like "Obama destroyed America" yeah, or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. <laughs> Is this real? <laughs> this is absolutely real. I need to. I will send you some after we record this. <laughs> oh. Okay. Well, now I'm getting in more. Uh-huh. So, so yes, um, minion memes, dumpable offense. Absolutely. I'm on the record here. <laughs> okay, but what about Disney at large? Oh no. Oh no. I mean, I definitely like. I'm probably going to dress as Ursula for the next half marathon that I do yes. at Disney. I like, mean, I'm okay with happen. that. I got some snaps from me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm cool with that. I mean, despite. I mean, if you if you can overlook the whole fact that running a half marathon is okay. Um, <laughs> If you can, like, get over that. <laughs> Which I struggle Wearing an with. Ursula costume. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> I guess the only way I can accept running a half marathon is if there's an Ursula costume involved. Yes, Gabe, like that. yes. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I wonder how, like, are you going to have different arms on this thing? Like, how are you going to run in this thing? Okay, this is a very serious and important question, and um, so a lot of people will have, like, a little tutu type thing, so what I was uh-huh. thinking is, like, making little versions of the legs and have them coming off, like, a waistband sort of thing, because that would be pretty unobtrusive. People wear waistbands to carry water and, like, gel packs and yeah. stuff. Yeah, nice. and then just, like, wear, like, print leggings, like, spandex the rest of it, and and just go for it. Nice. <laughs> so, would you say that Disney is the most magical place on Earth? No, Disney is definitely not the most magical place on Earth. Actually... <laughs> I can think of I can think of several others, but I'm trying to keep my mind out of the gutter here. I don't think we do that much in Justify. <laughs> what keep our mind out of the gutters or go yeah, into the gutter? Yeah, how, how do you justify keeping your mind out of the gutter? That's, that's a good question. Unjustifiable. Yeah. <laughs> um, one last thing is I saw on Twitter today someone posted a house that was on, like, Redfin, and it looked like this nice suburban house in Connecticut, and then, like, in their main foyer, they had a sex swing and a bed where you, like, uh, get tied up to it. It was, like, a whole Fifty Shades room, like, amongst the, like, nice furniture. It was pretty great. Oh, that's great. You know, suburban people should be kinky, too. And the description of the house was, like, um, suburban uh, cottage with a sexy twist. <laughs> <laughs> Some poor real estate agent had to figure out right, how to like, make that up. marketable. I need you to get your fuck swing out of here. Like that is a deal breaker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that well, that really leads us into our conversation today, yeah. right? <laughs> Justify. So, our first topic of the day is a show called Killing Eve that was on the BBC, and um, 
that Gabe and I have watched all of. I watched it a while ago, and Adrian started dipping in, but didn't wasn't able to finish just yet. Um, but Gabe, do you want to give some background about it? If sure. You have it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I mean, the show came on, you know, a few months ago, maybe. Yeah, not quite a year ago, but um, yeah, they're on BBC America. It was uh, Sandra O's big comeback to the screen after being on Grey's Anatomy, like you know, suffering. I imagine on Grey's Anatomy <laughs> for many, many years. Uh, and she, I always thought she was one of the great parts of that show when that show was good. And she's just such a spectacular actress, and so. I think it's the first time she actually gets this big starring role on television. Um, And she plays an MI5 analyst who is obsessed, like, or becomes obsessed with this um, female assassin or this this assassin. And she's the one who kind of figures out that it is a woman in the first place. Um, But the show pays equal attention to the Sandra Oh character as she's hunting down this assassin and it pays attention to to the assassin herself villanelle uh who's played by jodie comer and she's just this like psychopath like (laughs) sexy brilliant uh killer and she's just like so incredibly captivating um and so the show kind of traces this sort of like a cat and mouse kind of thing but you don't really know who the cat or the mouse is at any given point you know that's at least like my main kind of synopsis of it. This is a great synopsis. Yeah. And <laughs> it also, it was written by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, yes. Who, yes. who did Fleabag on BBC, which also yeah. is a really great show. Have you watched that, Gabe? I haven't seen it. I figure oh, you have, good. though. Have you seen it, Adrian? No, I haven't. Yeah, I've yeah, heard it's great, great. things. It's, it's a really good, like, funny show with another um, protagonist who's really broken and kind of unlikable, but also then you realize that she has this whole history and is dealing with this, like, massive grief, and um, it's really good. Also, Olivia Coleman is in it. Ooh. Ah, yes. <laughs> Briefly. <laughs> so, um, definitely worth checking out. But it's totally different than Killing Eve, too, so it's interesting and cool that she is branching out with different genres. Yeah, and it is very much a genre show, you know, like, it's... It, and, and that's so much of why I find it fascinating, just the way that it adopts this genre conventions of the you know like a spy kind of thing and the serial killer tropes um but then it subverts them so consistently and so i want to talk about that (laughs) adrian what are your initial thoughts let's see initial thoughts were that it seems to be like kind of a lesbian love story and um like in a in a weird twisted way, of course, between uh between Sandra O's character and um the assassin character Villanelle. Um because they are feeding off of each other and they're feeding off of each other in a in a sexual way. And then I was also thinking I'm glad uh before we started recording, Gabe and Amy put to bed the thing that I was like worried about, which <laughs> uh was that this show was gonna become Fight Club and it was gonna make me want to throw something. So <laughs> that does not happen. If you're worried about that happening, keep watching. There are not the same people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other thing I was thinking was like because they have sort of this setup where they're like 
oh, she's bored in her marriage, so she's seeking a thrill in her professional life. Um, and then Eve, uh, the agent, gets fired. And then, so I'm kind of wondering if this is all something that she's making up in her head, too. Like, that's something that it could be uh, a fantasy. And it could be one of those things where it's implied, but not actually outright kind of like in Boss Baby, but we don't need to talk <laughs> wow, about that. <laughs> now it's like in the it's, it's using the Boss Baby as a metaphor for killing Eve, a deal breaker. <laughs> Possibly. Oh, I, okay. So we're going to have to come back to this at some point. I'm not going to derail the conversation here, but I really liked Boss Baby, and oh I will god. justify it. Oh my god! Why didn't we? Why didn't we do this first? Why are we talking about respectable stuff when Adrian's going on the record as loving Boss Baby? Yes! I I think we need to scrap this whole thing. (laughs) But we we need like a one hour special where it's just Adrian really, I mean like filibustery (laughs) practically. Good, good, I will. <laughs> All right, yeah. so I did not get the the boss baby comparison, but uh, Amy, but have you guys seen it though? I have no, not seen no. boss baby. Okay, I saw this the previews and, and was very angry that this, it existed. Look, okay, this explains a lot. In the movie, there's like kind of a setup where you can't tell whether this whole boss baby thing is real or whether um, you whether the kid is making this up as sort of an overarching narrative that makes him love his little brother right so that's what I'm talking about when I'm drawing the comparison to Mm. killing Eve I'm pretty sure you've put in more thought to boss baby than the creator Sam you are so wrong and we are going to talk about this we're on record we're going to have a whole boss baby episode both of you guys are watching it oh (laughs) Oh no I'm actually going to watch you watching it I'm going to video call in and make sure you watch every minute of it oh I like the yeah I like the order in the uh, Back to, to killing thing. Eve, yeah. the, yeah. the Dom bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I'm into it. I will watch it, <laughs> and I want you to Boss watch Adrian. me. I want you to watch me watching it. <laughs> Only if I'm holding a testicle clamp. <laughs> now I'm now I'm concerned that Boss Baby is some kind of Dom Dom fantasy. <laughs> no, that was that was the tie back to Killing Eve, baby. I'm concerned no, about what you and Michael do in your bedroom. <laughs> Maybe they want that house, actually. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Seriously. No, but that was the way to get me to watch uh, Boss Baby, you know. <laughs> oh my and God. that's the one with right. Alec Baldwin, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, good. Um, anyway, Amy, Amy, your <laughs> thoughts about... <laughs> All right. What will you so compare back to killing, killing Eve, to? Eve? Now that I can like, let's see. I got to get over that shock. Um, I mean, it definitely is uh, comparable to j- the genre of um, this kind of detective hunting the killer. Um, yeah. But I think what makes it so interesting is the and you know in a lot of those movies and TV shows um, the two do get kind of obsessed with each other. But this one takes it to like a whole new level um, where they're playing this cat and mouse and and both like 
becoming obsessed in a sexual way with each other. Yeah. In addition to like, oh, I'm doing my job well and I want to keep being able to do it. It's like, no, I, I want to kill her, but maybe I want to fuck her. But And both of them are thinking that way. It's the same thing, really. It's very, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's very S&M. <laughs> and, and Villanelle is also very um, sexually, like at, at various times in the show, she's like seen in bed with women and then with men and then like with the man and a woman and so it like plays with their sexuality in ways and Sandra Oh is kind of bored in her marriage and so her character does kind of become obsessed in a sexual and um in a sexual way but also part of like oh I want to catch her so it's just really fascinating and I think also the um, I won't spoil any ending, but I think that they're both kind of thinking of each other as, well, I don't know what Villanelle's, like, pure motives are in terms of, like, she's doing this as a job, but, um, but she also loves it. And, um, and I, I kind of like the way it plays with, like, well, who is really the bad guy here? Like, a lot of the people that Villanelle kills are terrible people. They're, like, sex traffickers and shit. So it's like, I don't super feel bad for them. <laughs> she also kills some good people. <laughs> yeah. But but it's also, I like, anything that calls into question whether cops are good or bad is good with me. Because <laughs> yeah. as we know, yeah. all cops are bastards. All cops are bastards, absolutely. <laughs> yes, 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 a thousand times. Yes. <laughs> but, well, and to me what's interesting about that, um, is that we get a sense that she is just also just so good at her job. And there's a, a moment, one of my favorite lines in the show. So Sandra oh, immediately realizes when, when they first, yeah, and it's all these people like who work in intelligence and they're, they're trying to figure out who killed this person. And Sandra O's oh, character immediately just says, I bet you it was a woman, right? And so she has all these ways in which she understands Villanelle. Uh, before she even knows who Villanelle is. But one of my favorite lines, she has this conversation with a woman who eventually becomes her boss, and um, and her boss, I think, kind of gathers that she's really kind of fascinated uh, by Villanelle, in, not just in this way of wanting to catch her, but she almost admires Villanelle. Uh, and Sandra Oh has this incredible line where she says, you know, she's outsmarting everyone, of us and if she's this smart she deserves to kill like all the people you know to get away with killing all the people that she's killing and i i'm not saying that that's something that works in like the real world but as a popular culture representation there's just something really fascinating about that the way that sandra oh this character is so fascinated by her because of how smart she is and how yeah, I don't know the way that she goes about uh, killing people, and like I, I, I love the way that the show always foregrounds how intelligent and skilled these women are uh, at what they do, and and there's some something kind of I don't know if beautiful is the word, but there's something really like energizing and sexual, and uh, but also aesthetically kind of pleasing about it. Yeah. Um, did you? 
like so the another character that i think is really interesting is the fiona shaw character so there's this uh woman who works for mi6 right and she heads kind of the russian intelligence division and she's like this kind of eccentric older authority figure who hires uh sandra O oh to find villanelle and she's just so strange and eccentric and funny and i was wondering what you all thought of of that what that role is doing in the show and uh again i'm just so interested in how the show constantly subverts all these character types that we think we know and that also we're used to seeing men play mm-hmm. wait was she the one who was um mrs dursley yes okay <laughs> That's how I have to communicate with me. Um, <laughs> and and she was in True Blood, too. She played, like, that really crazy witch. Right, right. I honestly, it's been too long since I've watched it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I mean, I thought, I thought she was pretty interesting because she's sort of presented as an intimidating figure at first, right? Like, um, when Eve walks in late... Um, and is like eating her croissant, like, uh, you know, like, (laughs) you know, she's kind of looking askance at her, but then Eve does immediately impress her with her intelligence, you know? And like, that's the, that is, um, the language that they speak in. That's the currency that they use when she hires Eve. It's, um, it's because she finds her files. Like Eve's like, Oh, I thought Mm -hmm. you were going to find something embarrassing, but (laughs) no, she's found lots of excellent research. Um, so, I mean, I thought that was like, I enjoyed that, you know, a powerful woman recognizing another woman's intelligence and then pulling her up after it. Yeah. (laughs) But you guys maybe know more than me. So maybe she turns out to be like a crazy psycho and I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think she, she's just a, a really, interesting character to me and i just really like the way that she there's a okay so uh, again uh, we get her we get to see her as this really intimidating figure and then there's this scene where she um they catch i don't know if you've gotten to this atrium but they have like a a mall basically that uh that they find within the the organization and they have to interrogate him oh, and yeah. and the guy she will him. yeah he doesn't want to speak and then she's like oh sorry that i have to do this and you think she's going to torture him or uh-huh. something and what she ends up doing is like cuddling him and she yeah. pushes her her sleeve up so that he feels like her skin and it's just this really again i just thought that was such an interesting moment of how this woman has to navigate right um so the intelligence community and and being that higher up but also how even being that higher up she has to then play like a mother to this you know like a mother figure to this informant and and that's how she can get him to to speak that's kind of um a comment about like sort of tools in your toolbox kind of thing you know like gendered natures of tools in your toolbox because she is you do you think that she's going to do something terrible to him and she apologizes sorry sorry you have to see this sorry you're gonna have to watch this you know um so that kind of adds the idea that oh it might be it's shameful or disgusting or whatever to have to do this or whatever yeah all she does is show empathy (laughs) yeah 
But she has to, like, hold him, you know? She has to baby oh, him. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you can tell she's just, like, so over it, and but also oh, yeah. so used to it, you know? And, yeah. to, and that she knows that that's how she can get a man like that to talk. To talk, yeah. So, yeah, and, and I think, you know, Villanelle is always using, like, tools in her toolbox to get away with all her kills. Like, mm-hmm. I love how... There's one uh, one episode where she twice uses menstruation as a way to keep men from asking further questions. Yep. So yeah, so she, I like she, that. Definitely yeah. works. By yeah. the way, <laughs> I'm sure it does. I think like men are so freaked out by menstruation, right? Like by periods, and so yeah, I thought like that was another example. There's just all these ways in which the show constantly. Um, it's very aware that they're women uh, at the same time as it subverts all these you know, expectations that we have of female characters but it doesn't forget or it, it's not like a feminist utopia it, you know it, it very mm-hmm. much acknowledges some of the the challenges that they face as women and some of the, the really interesting things about that mm-hmm. so I don't know I love I love the show I really really love that show are you are you enjoying it Adrian I am loving it yeah yeah (laughs) it's so binge worthy yeah (laughs) yeah you really want to know what happens next and all the characters are really uh, well written and exciting and I I just am all for shows and movies that show women that are flawed that are kind of like Sandra O is kind of a probably an awful person like her character eve is probably an awful person (laughs) like (laughs) you think about it she's kind of a shitty wife and (laughs) but and and obviously villanelle is like a murderer but you're like (laughs) attracted to both of them (laughs) this way and i'm all for letting women be terrible yeah well and 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 they're fun. Uh, can we talk about how funny the show is, too? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> I love that it's not just fun and it's not just, you know, sometimes it's tragic or there's like really intense things that go down, but it's so funny. Like, it has such a funny tone. And Sandra Oh, I think uh, her character is hilarious to me, uh, like in some of the jokes that she delivers and, and her attitude. And then I also love, you know, that she's an Asian American woman staring, staring in, in the show and has this just incredible role and she just knocks it out of the park and it's just fascinating to see her just like really get a juicy, juicy role like that. <laughs> Like, I, I, I've been waiting for that for... I mean, I first saw her in Sideways in, like, 2004 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I feel like she had never really gotten, like, that kind of meaty, starring role that she deserved. And it's just great to see that, like, when you see an actor that you love kind of finally get their due, mm-hmm. um, even, you know, some so many years later. You saying juicy makes me think of um, the scene where she's putting on the black and white dress you know what I'm talking about and then looking at herself in the mirror yeah (laughs) and that was just 
I mean, I found that scene so interesting because she puts on this dress and she like looks like a million bucks, takes her hair down. The hair is very important because yeah. um, one of the first things that um, Philanelle said to her was actually the first thing she said was uh, wear it down, wear your hair down mm-hmm. right before um, Eve even knows who she is. And before um, she knows who Eve is, too. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, so it's, um, there's definitely something um, in the way of uh, permissiveness for sensuality and um, that kind of permiss- permissiveness without being directed towards a man, right? Because you have this parallel yeah. scene <laughs> where she has to like put on the fancy dress and go meet with the Chinese ambassador right. guy, right? And she's all like, mm, I don't really want to be like wearing this and it's weird and I don't want to <laughs> be flaunting whatever. And then you get this parallel scene later where she's like, oh, I've got this dress. And then like she puts it on and suddenly she's a million bucks and she's got permiss- <laughs> permission to just be your total sensual self and and that's shown through the shot like it's very clear um so kind of the way in which that that kind of seeing of yourself is more empowering when you're not doing it for a a heterosexual male you know enrichment you know when there's not like a straight dude waiting for you to put that on it's it's even better to put it on and just look at yourself in the mirror and be like, I am a sexy yeah. bitch. <laughs> and that is what she's doing. She's not even, you know, eventually mm-hmm. Villanelle comes into the scene, but she, but it's a surprise. Like she's not doing it for Villanelle. She's not doing it yet yeah, for, for her husband, for any man. She's just like, feels sexy in that moment, yep. looks at herself in the mirror, right? So even the gazing, it's mm-hmm. kind of her own gaze that that makes her feel sexy, yeah. and yeah, I love that. Like that, <laughs> and that that's such a good. I hadn't thought about the parallel scene of her mm-hmm. dressing up for the informant, yeah, that she's going to meet, yeah. and that is a really good point. And yeah, I love that scene, and she does look <laughs> incredible in that dress. <laughs> right, <laughs> that dress is amazing. Yeah, and she should. Yeah, her hair, her hair is just such love a huge part hair. of the show, and it's yeah. like the best hair you'll ever see yeah I, I, uh, gives me life <laughs> yeah so i think we're all in agreement that killing eve is something that everyone should watch yes absolutely and, <laughs> and it should have I, I mean she lost the emmy to claire foy in the crown and whom i really like but it's like come on she should have won the Emmy. <laughs> and, and jody comer is such a revelation she's I, I, she's just so brilliant in that in that part, and yeah, I love the that the show dedicates equal times to both of them mm-hmm. too. Yeah, all right. Yeah, justified. <laughs> yeah, that was the one Steve, that didn't need justified. any. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no justification needed. No justification needed. <laughs> all right. Well, our next topic is going to be somewhat similar too, but we'll take a little break. Justify. Okay, we're back. Um, so our next topic is a movie that is similar in some ways to Killing Eve and that it has mostly female protagonists or female leads and also there's lesbian um, sexual tension going on in it (laughs) Um, and that's a movie called The Favorite that is 
nominated for 10 Academy Awards. Lots of Academy Awards. 10. 10. And um, I think should win Best Picture. I agree. Gabe and I are pretty on board, but then we were startled to learn that Adrian... I was so shocked. I was was not a fan. (laughs) I was like, oh, we will have nothing to justify because we will all be like, oh yeah, this this movie is the best picture of the year. (laughs) Well, um, to be fair, I haven't seen the others, but... uh, Or like, not most of them. You've seen Black Panther, I'm sure. I've seen Black Panther, that's true. I mean, I'm not like... Yeah, that should be picture. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think it should win. Um, well, I don't know. I, I guess I need to see these other movies. Mm. Um, I don't know. I mean, I thought the favorite was very uh, beautiful and well acted, and like very technically well done. Like you feel like you're you're watching an auteur, um, <laughs> and. Yeah, so so that was all good. What I didn't like about it was how sort of it was very catty, and I didn't feel like wow, that's a very gender term. Yeah, <laughs> used on purpose because we're talking about a movie that centers on women. Like the issue is that women are catty, right? And that's what I take issue with is that I think the movie reifies that. Well, we should probably, uh, Amy, yeah, do you want to talk synopsis. a little bit about what the movie is about? <laughs> Uh, sure. So it's um, a period piece directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, who um, I love for his work on The Lobster mm, and the, the Killing of the Sacred Deer. Yeah, <laughs> I loved both of those movies. <laughs> and he did not write this one, however. He did direct it. Thank so God. it still kind of has the same um, kind of artistic style, but without the weird stilted dialogue and and acting style of the other two um and it stars olivia coleman who plays queen anne and um she basically has she's kind of a impetuous uh really uh, a queen that's not in control of things and she has these advisors this one advisor played by Rachel Weiss who's very close to her and throughout the movie realize that she's uh, they have a lesbian love affair that maybe is motivated by Rachel's attempt or is at least partially motivated by her attempt to gain power and favor with the queen and then Emma Stone is the other um lead in it who is related to Rachel Weiss as a cousin or something to Rachel yeah, Weiss's character yeah. and shows up and asks for a job and soon learns and sees how Rachel Weiss has, has wor- wormed her way into Queen Anne's favor and goes about trying to accomplish the same thing and in the process really screwing over Rachel Weiss's character. I loved this movie. <laughs> I thought it was stylized perfectly. I liked the way um, the women in it are all kind of uh, terrible, but they're all trying to get what they need out of a situation that's really rough. Emma Stone's character is coming from um, being like, she was like sold to a, a man and was basically like a sex slave and then escaped or got out somehow and ended up trying to 
find this position at, at the palace and manages to negotiate her way to the top in a, in a similar way, probably, that she has lived her life where she's, you know, using her what she has in order to like her feminine, her tools in her toolkit, like you were saying (laughs) in order to get to a place where she feels like she has some power. And I love the way she treats the men in that movie too. She, (laughs) I love how she worms her way into a marriage with a nobleman and like screws him over out of sex on their wedding night. And (laughs) is constantly just thinking about ways she can get to the top. (laughs) Uh, well and and uh, also uh, Queen Anne is not just a very ineffectual kind of leader but she's she's, we get a sense that she's very sick right so she she's like uh, got gout or something yes yes so she has gout and then she she's in like she has a lot of issues with uh, fertility right I don't know Mm -hmm. if I don't think those are related at all but Michael's the medical expert, and by proxy, <laughs> by proxy you are too, Adrian. But, uh, but yes, yeah, so, so we also learn that Queen Anne has lost something like 17 mm-hmm. children, I want to say, mm-hmm. uh, in one way or another, either through miscarriages or stillborn babies, or um, she had at least one that I think survived till like age three or so. So I thought it was interesting, from, uh, from the Queen Anne perspective... You know, as much as she's depicted as this uh, very spoiled, right, like, royal who's like a baby, which I think all royals are babies. Uh, <laughs> like there boss is, babies. <laughs> <laughs> they're literally it's boss babies. It's going to happen this episode. <laughs> uh, but I thought it was uh, really interesting to, to, to get... You know, like uh, a disabled character, and and sort of the depiction of her disability as something that is very real to to that role and to to her womanhood too, and um, that feeds a lot into the way she she treats other people and the way that other people treat her as you know infantilize her in many ways. So I thought that you know, Adriana, you felt like they were just they're often just being catty and whatnot, you know, as a gender term, but at least I thought there were different, you know, what you mentioned, um, Amy, about Emma Stone's background, and, and, you know, and they're very transparent about how much rape she's been through, right? Like, there's a scene where someone asks Emma Stone, like, about her experience in the previous place where she lived, and she just says kind of nonchalantly, like, oh, the worst part was all the raping, you know? And I think... There's those stories set in that time period often like to kind of elide the fact that women were constantly raped or you know so I don't know I thought there were ways in which the the film as much as it depicts this women being sort of horrible to each other in some ways and manipulative um, I, I I always got a good sense of where they were coming from and and I didn't think that the film was interested. And just saying women are catty or women behave this way, but more about, you know, there are these forces that are leading these women to treat each other with that, you know, that, that prevents sort of real sisterhood, if we want to use kind of like more contemporary terms, from actually existing within this power structure, you know? I mean, 
Okay, so we see Emma Stone's character come in. Uh, first thing that happens is Rachel Weiss's character, um, who's like her cousin or something, is like, yeah. oh, well, you can go be a scullery maid. And then, so she goes down and is like, okay, fine. You know what? I would be out on the streets otherwise. I'm going to do whatever I need to do. And then, of course, all the maids are like, oh, let me get your hand burned with lye soap because you're an idiot, <laughs> you know? Um, just, just basically just like, okay, I'm going to be just atrocious to you for no reason. Um <laughs> And then you see um, Rachel Weiss's character is like, she's the one who turns Queen Anne into um, kind of a baby. Because Anne is actually, once um, she, uh, the advisor's out of the picture, she's able to rule kind of effectively. Um, and then... So you you get the sense that actually maybe she would have been fine if she didn't have this other person here saying, you look like a badger, you can't talk to advisors, you know, whatever. Uh, She's the queen. Wear whatever eye makeup you want to wear and just go out there and tell them what's up, you know. Don't listen to this lady who's clearly just trying to usurp any kind of power that you have. Like, it's all about, like, women denigrating other women (laughs) to try to get themselves a little bit more power that's this whole movie and that's why i was just like i'm gonna barf at the end of it (laughs) i was kind of on board with emma stone until she's like okay because you know whatever she was not hurting anyone that wasn't just an awful person already until she's actually mean to the queen and then like it's like oh this rabbit that represents your miscarried baby i'm gonna try to murder it at the end also is that a metaphor i mean are both of these women keeping Anne from reproducing i mean i don't mean literally though possibly because they are all just utterly atrocious people like like um rachel weiss's character could have just been like slipping her penny royalty the whole time like that could be real if you told me that i would buy it you know (laughs) just to be like well i'll have more power if she doesn't have an heir you know (laughs) that could that could be legit at that point i don't know if she would have been able to i mean she was fairly old at the time that the movie's checking in yeah. Right, but they had been friends since childhood. Do you remember the scene where they talk about how long they've been like together? It's like they've had a lesbian relationship since like friends. adolescence. Yeah, they yeah. were childhood friends. Yeah. yeah. So this this has presumably yeah. been happening their entire lives. Well, but maybe Queen Anne is also just into lesbian love. <laughs> like, yeah, I, 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 mean, I mean, I don't have any problem with I that. Think it kind of went both ways. Like, I don't think that that Queen Anne is just the victim of this. I don't think so either. Yeah, well, she's not until the end. <laughs> no, I disagree. I I feel like she knows the game she's playing throughout the whole movie. Yeah, which is what exactly she's kind of takes on a victim role but also it is um i i think a lot of it though is to also in the end demonstrate that she's the one in charge and i think that's what the metaphor is at the end with the bunnies yeah. <clears throat> i don't think it has to do with her like not having an heir i think it's like okay well these other women think that they can like control me through sexual favors or through like um, you know, out negotiating or thinking that I'm dumb, but ultimately I'm the one with the power and they're the ones like serving me sexually and like in 
in terms of where the power really lies. But she doesn't do that until after Emma Stone is like about to murder one of her metaphorical no, babies. I no, I think she's doing it throughout the whole movie. She has her foot on that damn rabbit. She's about to kill it <laughs> and then realizes that Anne's looking at her and then immediately afterwards we get the scene where she's like, nah, bitch, you're going down on me, you know? <laughs> But I think she, I, I, I don't think that moment comes out of nowhere. I think she, and, and we get that, oops, we get that moment in the, like earlier in the film when she invites, Emma, she invites Emma Stone to her room or something to that effect. And Rachel Weisz tells her, you just did that to make me mad, right? Like, so we get an acknowledgement or I think the film constantly reminds us that Queen Anne is in many ways. Sometimes she's she might not be aware, but I do think in many ways she knows the game. She's she knows the game that the two women are playing, and and I think she she likes the game. She it makes uh-huh. her feel appreciated, makes her feel powerful, yep. makes her feel desired. And like the baby stuff is almost calculated. Of like, if you can act like a poor little baby that needs to be tended to, like that in a sense is a power game. Yeah. Where you're like, well, who's going to attend to me the most? Because whoever does gets to have all this control. Exactly. That's okay, how that's, I read that's it. That's a better. I, I can I can see that argument. Um, and that's uh, one that you can kind of think of using tools in their toolbox if she's like got a serious <laughs> uh-huh. illness and then plays that illness up well, for who attention. Is it at some point, that's like, is it Nicholas Holt's character, the other who's her, um, you know, kind of political rival who wants certain things, and Rachel Vice's character is really trying to push back on him um, and what he wants. And they're trying to, I actually don't know who she's saying it to, but she says something like, well, yeah, I, I like her being around and I like how she's, she puts her tongue inside of me. She like, says it to Rachel Weisz, actually. Yeah, she does say it to Rachel yeah, Weisz. Like, yeah. Well, I'm not mad at her for like, <laughs> liking sex. I'm not going to be mad at somebody for liking sex. I just think sex. she knows what she's doing. Right. I think the better, I think the better argument was like your argument about playing the, playing the baby because, like, at first you're kind of led to believe that uh, Rachel Weisz's characters led her to being a baby. has kind of infantilized her. But you, if you say, okay, actually, she's infantilizing herself for a manipulation of the Rachel Weisz's character, then I can sort of be like, okay. I think it goes both ways. I, was gonna say, way, I, I think mean, it's they're a all triangle. It's they're like all they're awful all, people. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if they're There's not a single person people. that I, I like, like in, this, no. <laughs> in this entire movie. No. I in also a don't world. think the movie, a movie is about if you like a character or not. I agree. And we never yeah. ask those questions when men are the protagonists. No um, one has, like, a lot of no, times I people don't I think we do. I don't know. This is the stuff with like all the male antiheroes where you have like a Tony Soprano and a Walt from uh, Breaking Bad where you're like, people are like, oh yeah, well he, you know, he's murdering people, but uh, he's the hero of this. That's why that's a litmus test over whether a guy's an asshole. Like the whole show, there are actual (laughs) people you can root for. You know, like you can root for um, Skylar. You know, you can root for, you can root for other people in these shows. Maybe not the Sopranos. It's been too long. I can't remember that one. Um, you can root for Dr. Melfi in The Sopranos. You know, you can root for... There. There is somebody that you can root for, even if they're not the lead character. You know, this one, I felt like there was literally nobody whose team I could safely be on. I guess that's just not my... 
I don't know, in a lot of movies, I have seen movies like uh, Match Point, which is a Woody Allen movie. I saw that and I was like, I hate everyone in it and it's a worthless movie. <laughs> oh, but I like that one, movie. This one I felt like <laughs> different in that, I don't know, I liked all the games that they're playing. I like all the manipulation and I, and I feel like it speaks to our current political moment too, where everyone at, t- at the top is like, played manipulation games and they're all vying for some kind of like role as this powerful person when ultimately like power is non-satisfying like maybe also that's like the message i got from the end of it where emma stone is feeling so powerful that she's like gonna crush that bunny and she's sitting all high and then like like next thing she's like just rubbing someone's genitals again like that's ultimately what life is we're all just like rubbing genitals i wish that's all life was god can i get that like life playing political games <laughs> i think I know, it's the rubbing genitals god, with I my would... pleasure that upsets me Amy. seriously it's like can i be in the stone oh. <laughs> but with a man uh, but well, I, yeah, I, me too. I, had, <laughs> I had such a different reading of the film like i actually thought that Rachel Weisz and Queen Anne like I found that relationship to be somewhat heartbreaking by the end of the film like I thought Mm -hmm. that as much as they were playing games and there was all this manipulation Mm -hmm. going on and as terrible as you know it could be I still I found that scene where Rachel Weisz uh, is, is talking to Queen Anne through a door so mm-hmm. incredibly heartbreaking and I mm-hmm. felt that there was some genuine you know I don't know if love love in the traditional sense but I did feel that they had some kind of like actual romantic like yeah. affection well, for like, each other um, what's yeah. the line the line she says is um, something to the effect that um, I'll never lie to you that's what love is or something you know yeah. talking about yeah and that actually that kind of like because they set Rachel Weisz's character up to sort of be the bad guy all through. It's it's basically all the betrayals that you get like throughout the movie. Yeah. It's like she's yeah. the bad guy, she's the bad guy, she's the bad guy. On the end, at the end, she's the good guy because you think, oh, she actually has the queen's best interest so in mind, even if she's her, like, yeah. yeah, even if she's after power as well, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was heartbreaking, and I had to be like. I don't know. I had to evaluate that statement. Like, it does bring up the question, what, what is love? Is she showing her love by telling her, by telling her to, that she can't talk to these leaders wearing this makeup? Yeah. Or is she, would it be better to just be like, let me fix your makeup. Okay, now go talk to the leaders. Because that's what I think yeah. love is. Well, you know? <laughs> but we don't always know how to best... We don't always accomplish best, that. Well, we don't true. know how to best love someone, right? Like, sometimes, <laughs> like, our version of what love looks like might not be the best, right? So... I think, like, we could argue that that comment comes from a place of love, even if it's manifested in a really fucked up way, but, <laughs> and that perhaps that that's the language that she had for it at, the, at that time, and that the language that she felt 
uh, she had to exercise at that time to establish some kind of power. <laughs> I mean, well, that's it. That's like you can't quite tell because she tells her you can't talk to whatever leaders these are yeah. because you look like a badger. I'll go talk to them <laughs> for you, you know, and yeah. it's not clear. Is she actually trying to help the queen save face or is she just trying to get her political aims? Or both. Yeah. Okay. You know. And to me, love is not both. There's no room for both. I oh, I think there is. Really is. I think oh, there yeah. is. No. Yeah. Clearly you need to watch Boss Baby again. <laughs> um, clearly you need to watch Boss Baby. <laughs> because I can tell you haven't. <laughs> no, I think there's constant power dynamics going on in relationships, there even are, when you do yeah. truly love each other. Plus, we're talking about a time when there wasn't such a thing as a romantic love relationship the right. way we think of it now. And maybe to the queen, being called a badger is her love language. Yeah, I love being called <laughs> ugly. Just like no, every like, man who wants to get me like in bed, that, just tell though. me I'm disgusting. That's going to be but great. I think that plays in with that thing of like her using her vulnerability as a weapon also, and as a way for people to care for her so she, she can like, you know, dole out favors based on what people are willing to give to her too and i i don't know i didn't see any character in it as like being all good or all bad or like i didn't think of rachel Mm. vice as like the the villain of the movie i was like the whole time i was like oh okay i i was feeling pretty um like mixed about and ambivalent about who is morally good. I just don't feel like that's the point of the movie is like well, that's a not moral the point. I'm just saying they're all eighty-five percent bad and there's not one person that's like less but than fifty percent bad. But that is a moral a judgment one. on the characters. Like I don't know I Certainly I, yeah, I am I, I do will feel, make them <laughs> I do feel like Amy were like I I have no there's very few movies where I will say like Oh, I like this because of this character was likable or unlikable, like or Not like I don't need or to unlikable, but good or bad. Like, what's the oh, message? What's the what's the message of the movie? Yeah, oh, well, good or know. bad is also really like hard bad. to define. Yeah, I just think good or bad. <laughs> it's too rooted in like christian like moral values no, there was moral or, philosophy know? long before christianity I know, you're right. yeah i mean like <laughs> maybe like ethical like, or the not the point of art is to like showcase stories of like people who are good and who are bad like i think there are movies like that and, and stories like that where it's like a moral lesson or you're supposed to root for the good person but i think there's a lot of stories that are not about about that or that or that's not like the point of any part of it it's not to to say your allegiances should lie with this person it's just is what it is but okay so what is the point then um of the like if you're if you're drawing an overarching point i mean it was beautiful it was well acted i found it really fun too like i feel like we're missing the fact that it's like really funny it's It's really like biting funny humor i agree i loved that dance sequence oh i I live for the dance dance sequence was good i liked Uh, the racing ducks (laughs) that was absurd and i loved it (laughs) i just i feel like the dialogue sharp it's like witty it's dark and 
it says something about power dynamics and manipulation and who is on top and who's really being manipulated. And I think that's really more what it's about. Also, a lot of this is a true story. Like, we looked up yeah. stuff about Queen Anne and we're yeah, like, oh, this is all real. A lot of <laughs> like, it, it yeah. bananas. I know, And I just yeah. knowing that there was a queen who was, like, advised by this kick-ass woman who was, like, going down on her all the time just yeah. makes me happy. <laughs> well, I mean, in, in real life, Rachel Weisz, after she gets, you know, exiled, she publishes a memoir where she accuses Queen Anne of being a lesbian with Emma Stone's character, which I wish they had <laughs> covered because that's so juicy. Uh-huh. But um, yeah, I mean, to, if I'm thinking of a point, like say if I was gonna like teach this this movie, like uh, I'm really interested in in that in the the way it shows how some systems, you know, like really do produce this um this dynamics where women have to sort of manipulate each other and and where even the love you know between Rachel Weiss and Queen Anne if we can call it that like would like will always have to be played out through this exchange of power and the, I don't know I thought it was a commentary on on the the circumstances that that uh prevent sisterhood whatever you know iteration that takes uh from actually taking place you know Mm -hmm. like the cousins cannot actually be family and you know queen anne and and rachel vice cannot actually be together um like i I thought the the movie was just showing sort of the, the systemic ways in which um yeah, this this bonds are are not allowed to exist in a and yeah. without toxic you know without the toxic elements. So that's okay. how I that's how I read it. Um, uh, all right, justified, justified. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stand. Also- all of the acting is so good in it. Olivia Colman is say, incredible. Can we talk about like, the Rachel acting? Weiss, they're all so good in it. I, I think none of them. Well, and I'm not familiar enough with Olivia Colman's work, but I, I would say none of them have been as good as they are in this film. Like I've never been so in love with Rachel Weiss before. I think Emma Stone. She's gorgeous too. She, yeah. Oh, I mean, she's ridiculously gorgeous, but she's just so. Like, she was my favorite character. I just adore every line reading she had, every... Like, as a performance, I think it's a work of art. I think Queen... Yeah, Olivia Coleman knocks it out of the park. I think Emma Stone is just so present, and so um, she really knows how to use her talent to to fit within Yorgos Lanthimos' wor- world. Um, and Nicholas Holt, I think, extremely underrated. <laughs> I thought he was so fantastic, <laughs> He's good too, yeah. you know, and a total cutie. So I just, yeah, I, I, I thought the acting was incredible. I loved the the shots and the camera work, and I, I, I thought it was just such a fantastic movie. I, I really adored it. I wish it could win Best Picture. It's not going to, but. I, what I do just, you think is going to win Best Picture? I'm like deadly if it's afraid. It's going to be the Green Book. I'm deadly afraid oh, no, it's going to be Green no. Book, but I hope not. <laughs> I've I hope already I'm heard wrong. Such, I, I'm like I don't even want to watch any of the other no. ones. Like, is that bad? Yeah. We're like I've heard. Uh, we uh, wait. What's the Bohemian what's the, Rhapsody? Bohemian Rhapsody. I was like, we will rock you. That's all right. <laughs> um, yeah, I've. 
I've heard that so bad and fucking Brian Singer, right? And and Remy Malek is like supposed to like people think he might win lead actor. Like Ugh. I'm over him. Like he's such a fucking asshole with everything he said in the promotion. Like whether about like Freddie Mercury's queerness or whether he like didn't know about Brian Singer's allegations, which like. I'm not a, an actor, and I have known about those allegations Seriously, for I've like heard about seven that for years. years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's I fucking gross. hate that movie. I haven't seen it, but I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes me so sad because I love Queen. Like what, I love Queen you know? too, and I wanted yeah. a biopic of Freddie Mercury that was yeah. queer, you know, and that paid yes. attention yeah. to to his queerness. I yeah. mean, come on. So. I don't, I'm I'm really worried it's gonna be Green Book. I think it's between Green Book and Roma. I haven't seen Roma, oh, but I'm, I'm all yeah. Okay, Roma's so we great. should see Roma. Watch, all right. watch Roma. It's I on will. Netflix. Yeah. Okay. Watch it. It's good. And I then, would like, be happy with that too. Riot if it doesn't win. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the favorite should win Best Picture, justified as fuck. <laughs> I wouldn't be mad if it won Best Picture. Like, if, oh. as a movie, what I'm saying is, like, when I say it's beautiful, it's well acted. I mean yeah. that it's the thing that it's doing. It does very, very well. I just want to murder the characters and myself and everyone afterwards. I feel that way about the lobster, so I, I can yes. I can relate. Yes. I love the lobster. Uh, the lobster's no, I so mean, good. Uh, go watch Boss Baby, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> then talk to me about the lobster. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll move on to our next topic, and we'll be back in just a second. <laughs> this is fine, guys. Justify. <laughs> All right, we're back. Um, I think since we've taken a lot of time on our first two topics, um, we're also going to talk about Bird Box. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) It have to be a speed session on Bird Box. All right, so we're going to do a speed discussion of the movie Bird Box since we've taken a lot of time with our other ones. Um, Which I don't... Gabe, have you seen this one? Have you seen Bird Box? I refuse to see it, but I will I will not be convinced that it's good. So give it your best shot. I watched it based on Uh Adrian's recommendation Uh but I kind of wanted to see it anyway and I'm I'm mixed about it. I actually thought... um, So Bird Box is the Sandra Bullock movie that's on Netflix that everyone's been talking about that there are a bunch of memes about with her wearing a blindfold. Um, Growing. Ultimately, I thought it was a pretty fun, like, thriller movie. I was engaged. I think it had some problems and it raises a lot more questions than it answers. But I enjoyed watching it. And I liked that it's not, it didn't. It didn't feel the need to answer what the thing actually was that was mm-hmm. causing all the suicides. Um, so it's a world where um, people all of a sudden are, are, there's a mass suicide event where they see something and then immediately commit suicide. And so they're trying to not look at anything in order to prevent themselves from becoming suicidal. Yeah, and and I will say like that's one of the main reasons I don't want to see it. I think after the happening 
I'm just so scarred. Oh, God, don't. But okay. <laughs> I mean, it's M. Night Shyamalan, <laughs> uh, which my husband is a I fan. Know, so. I, I, know. I gotta see it the most recent perfect. one, though. People are excited about that. Oh, no, oh, I've heard that it's horrible. No. Uh, but <laughs> hey, Joel may be seeing it with someone <laughs> else, and I refuse. Joel and I are getting our own like, break-off podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I, I hate and this is like not an actual like valid <laughs> criticism but I hate movies where people commit mass suicide and I refuse to watch them I think they're <laughs> like so misanthropic but anyway keep going okay wait no I'm gonna I'm gonna explain why why both of them are wrong okay <laughs> <laughs> because Amy has left out the most essential part of the movie which is its very tight thesis about motherhood okay so what happens sandra bullock she's pregnant um she goes in she's like okay i gotta get an ultrasound the doctor's like i can tell you don't want this baby give it up for adoption um she clearly wants to then this mass thing happens which is uh, they're apparently invisible monsters well, invisible to the viewer. We don't see them. The people in the film see them. Um, and when you look at one, um, most people want to commit suicide because um, in my thesis about motherhood, it is basically the horror of living in this world. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so after that, you know, Sandra Bullock is pregnant. Um, she finds some people to like kind of hole up with. There's another pregnant lady in it. Um, eventually they, she falls in love with a guy that they're like, hold up with. They have to make an escape for it because all of the people that they're in the house with die. Um, and they're trying to find this kind of like utopia. Um, so that's when they have to go down the river. She's got a rope blindfolded down this river to find the place where people can still live after you see this horrible, you know, and avoid seeing this horrible thing. Um, all the while she's been calling these kids that have been born. One of them is hers. And one of them is another girl's that she's taken care of because she's dead, um, boy and girl. And they've been calling her by her name, right? Um, people like sort of ask if she's their mother and she always hedges and that sort of thing. She even like sets up camp with this guy that she's in love with. And they sort of like try to live in this hellscape world without seeing the things. But eventually they have to leave because of a gang of, um, of people who have seen the thing, but it doesn't make them want to kill themselves. Basically sociopaths. Um, so they get run out by sociopaths. They murder the father. She's like with, the um with the kids and she's faced with the thought that she's going to have to make one of the kids look out to guide them down the river um but as they guide down she says no like you think she's going to pick one and pick the one that's not her kid right you think she's going to sacrifice one that's not her kid but she doesn't she says nope we're all going to die or we're all going to live together they go down the river um they all the boat gets smashed up, but they find each other. They make their way through this terrible woods um, section anyway, and they get there. And the place that's heaven is a school for the blind, so the blind can't see this. Right? They can't see the monsters. They can't be attacked. Um, and when she gets there, she sees her obstetrician, who's like, 
are these your children or is this your child? And she's like, I'm this is so and so. So she names them for the first time. And this is, you know, the other person names them after their parents or names them after her lover, Tom, and um, the girl after her mother and is like, and I'm their mother. You know, so it ends with, okay, we're in the socialist society where everyone's equal and we're all going to protect each other. And we got here by living or dying together. And now I can actually be a mother. I couldn't be a mother in the hell world with a nuclear family Hmm. because in the hell world with a nuclear family, (laughs) the father actually can't provide. He can't protect. He can't do any of this. Like all these narratives about how we're meant to raise children in today's world are just utterly destroyed in the film. And you see at the end, like this is the only circumstance in which you're actually allowed to accept motherhood. I mean, I like your reading of it. That's not how I took it. I took it as just like, I mean, she finally feels safe to where she can name them because prior to that, I wouldn't feel comfortable getting attached to these kids, making them feel like their life is going to be semi-normal. Like, when in reality, like, at any moment they could die, and any one of them could die. So, I think there is that. I mean, I like your reading of it. I don't know. I wonder how much they would really intend it, like, as a critique of parenthood in our world now. Oh, absolutely. I think that's what the horror is, right? Because they don't show us the horrible thing that everyone is killing themselves for a reason. That's a purposeful choice. Um, And the reason is that you would never have kids if you knew how terrible this world was, (laughs) right? (laughs) So you have to not see how terrible the world is in order to, like, take on the role of having kids. Yeah. Yeah. You're kind of convincing me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I also don't think, you know, like, at least in in some schools of thought, like, you know, intentionality is not really that important. Or, like, you know, we're not thinking so much about, like, did the artists of Bird Box think about motherhood? But did they end up producing a film that speaks to to that experience, right, and to Adrian's reading, which is, I'll admit, convincing, but it also makes me feel like I'll just read Adrian's essay about Bird Box and never have to watch watch it. Yes, fuck no. (laughs) I mean, that would be fair, because the best part, or the part that I liked the most about it was kind of like the coherent thesis and messaging. I'm liking horror movies lately. I'm liking horror movies about motherhood, especially lately. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Because it makes sense to me. Is there something you're trying to tell us? (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot there, I think, too, to explore that has gone unexplored, especially with men making so many of the movies for so long um, and having kind of a, a limited view about things. Yeah, and this movie was directed by Susan Beer, who's like one of the you know prominent uh, you know world cinema female directors. Yeah, you know, not yep. not just female directors, just directors. But you know, you're making the point, Amy, that I think horror, especially as a genre, has been very dominated by male directors. So, yeah. What about Hereditary? Oh, I mean, that was incredible that, that was okay. so much better than I bird box remember who the director so much was, better than bird box yeah. <laughs> no the director is a you man. haven't even seen it of course it actually was better but this <laughs> is like is a movie made for netflix yeah, yeah it was directed by a man but, but yeah. it's also very much like about grief and a motherhood and right yeah motherhood, and the horrors yeah. of that yep. 
I think there's just a lot to explore there because there's a lot of horror to being a parent and especially a mother. And there's a lot of body horror associated with motherhood, too, that dudes really can't handle. Yeah. <laughs> well, this one wasn't really about. No, but there's not much either. body horror in that, right? But, but yeah, the ambivalence about being a mother is, is very much there. Yep. Well, good. You you justified it pretty you good. You justified Yeah, you definitely got a stamp, Adrian. Put more thought into it than I did, too. I honestly thought it was, like, you know, pretty good thriller, but I was like, wait a minute. There's a lot of questions. Wait, what, what's, uh, what's your question? I mean, I don't know. Just kind of the nature of the thing and... Um, God, I can't remember. Like, I, I just kept thinking about it afterwards and being like, wait, why wouldn't they do this? And I couldn't remember. <laughs> um, I did like when you were like, oh, um, Adrian's one criteria. How does Rowan come off? Or <laughs> advance the plot of the film. <laughs> yeah, you're like, my biggest critique is the rowing. <laughs> I'm like, of course. <laughs> and, and now we're going to introduce Adrian's new rowing podcast where yes. she explains how every movie <laughs> don't, rowing and how culture. rowing brings <laughs> do not miss the do not miss the bridge for freak three episode that's yeah. that's already my favorite right. this this movie uses rowing much more effectively it plays into the whole blind thing that we're talking about yep Row, the rower is blind. They're not looking the direction they're going. Sandra Bullock <laughs> just made it look a lot more painful than it actually is. <laughs> it looks pretty bad terrible. As Andra, not as bad as Anna Kendrick, let's, let's be real. <laughs> <Yeah. but. laughs> no, I think I'm remembering my questions now. It had to do with um, the mental illness because everyone who saw the stuff would kill themselves except some of the people who were already insane they like said in the movie quote unquote insane would be like oh no i i think it's beautiful Mm. and i want you to see it and there was some problematic stuff i feel like with mental illness in that do you remember who tells you that information a guy who's mentally insane no the the guy who's (laughs) like the the like evil sociopath like tells you so i think that's a case of unreliable narrator yeah i think he knows that there are people out there that are like Whatever. But what's up He's, with those people? Who are these they're people? They're sociopaths. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that necessarily... I, I mean, that's not like the people who are in the mental institution or whatever. That's just yeah. some bullshit he's telling you. The people who are out there are like people who worship Cthulhu, you know? Like, <laughs> those are the people that are like, ooh, cool, rock on, you know? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, All right. well that, that gets a stamp. I'm not. I'm not seeing it ever, but I get the stamp. Gabe still hates it, but it's justified. Right. Justifying All right, and then do you want to just wrap up with? Do you have any other like short recommendations? Yes. Yeah. I, you go ahead, Gabe. All right. I, I well, I just wanted to to speak to this movie that got some critical attention. It won the lead actress near uh or yeah near critics film circle price and uh, for regina hall and it's called support the girls and it's just this little movie it's on hulu right now and i just highly recommend it i just saw it and 
It's about this woman played by Regina Hall, who's you know uh, you might know her from the scary like scary movie franchise, and she was incredible in Girl Strip, which I adore. <laughs> and she runs kind of this sports bar, like kind of like a Hooters type of sports bar, and it's just twenty four hours in the life of this sort of incredible woman who's protecting. Um, her empl- her employee yeah she's the general manager of this kind of Hooters type of bar and uh, or like you know restaurant and she's protecting her you know the girls who work there and she's just dealing with all this other stuff and and it's just this really unexpectedly beautiful and funny and um, you know not painful and like a very tragic it's not intense or anything but but it, it's haunting i think and uh and regina hall does such an incredible job she won the lead actress prize for new york critics film circle she won a couple other um critics prizes she didn't get it at the oscars but i just i'm just trying to to like spread the word about this movie because <laughs> it made like a hundred thousand dollars at the box office or something but <laughs> critics just really remembered it at the end and and it, it was it's so good i i really really hope more people watch it um so that's my recommendation for for this week Nice. I'll have to check that out. It's really great. Adrian? Um, I don't remember if I've recommended it on this podcast or not, but um, when you asked me what's something that doesn't need justification, the only thing I could think was My Hero Academia. (laughs) Um, Is that a cartoon? Yeah, yeah. it's an anime. (laughs) Yep. And it's just like incredibly heartwarming. Michael says it's like Naruto, but like nicer <laughs> so i'm like oh man i should have been a teenage boy but you know <laughs> um and i just find the lead character to be um very um like he navigates masculinity in a very non-toxic way like in a heartwarming way and that's something that you don't see represented in american media that much so nice. that's what i'm watching where, where is that available uh, I think it's on Hulu. Uh, you have to wait for a little while to find the um, the dubs. Uh, the subtitled ones are available for more seasons. Okay, but, cool. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, and then mine is the Netflix show Russian Doll that just came out. Oh, I want to see that. That has Natasha Lyonne. Um, it's great. And it was created by um, her and Amy Poehler and... Uh, I forget her name, Leslie something. She wrote Bachelorette, which is that movie with Kirsten uh, Dunst. I, and <laughs> I loved it. Oh, Gabe God, I hated that movie. Um, <laughs> but it's a, it's like a Groundhog Day somewhat, but it like has a different message. And it's just real short. It's like eight episodes. Um Natasha Leone's great. It's um, just a really fun watch and also, like, has a good ending, and I just really loved it. I, like, tore through it really fast. That's awesome. I've heard so, really good things about recommend. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I really want to see it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have new things to add to our, to our cues, as it Absolutely. is to be called. Yeah. <laughs> and also, keep watching Vanderpump Rules, because it's great. Oh, fuck no. <laughs> do, do not, whatever you do, viewer, readers, listeners, do not watch Vanderpump. 
I'm finding the Vanderpod very useful because, like, now I'm knowing what Amy's talking about. Do not go to the dark side. No, no, I'm not going to the dark side because I'm not going to watch the show. Do not leave me on this corner by myself. (laughs) No way. I'm not watching the show. I'm just going to listen to funny people talk about the show, and then I don't have to worry about actually watching it. (laughs) It's the best. the best show on television. We'll we'll see. Um, All right, guys. Well, All thanks right. for tuning in, and uh, see you in three we'll be, years. Yes. We'll be back one day. We'll be back someday. Um, send us send us all your comments on these things so we know that you're listening. Um, all right, take care. All right, bye. 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 Like, that's ultimately what life is. We're all just, like, rubbing genitals. I wish that's all life was. Right? God. <laughs> this is fun, guys.